What's up, everybody? After a little bit of a break, finally back to Res Ball here with my esteemed guests, Steve Hinson, who is a former writer and editor over at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation, also the creator of Detroit-Basketball.com. Go check out his articles there. They're always very unique and very insightful. We are here today to debate Brandon Miller. Steve and I have been going back and forth on Brandon Miller um, for a while now, and we both have the same conclusion of him. Of He is the weird, quote-unquote, player, but it's two sides of the coin. One of us is pro-Brandon Miller, and the other one of us is a Brandon Miller skeptic. I am the Brandon Miller skeptic today, so we're going to talk through Brandon Miller because he is a very talented prospect, but... Again, there's some things in the profile that we don't normally see, especially from a, a prospect that is so highly touted. So, Steve, what's up? How are you feeling today? Doing good. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that my optimism is not newborn baby induced, you know, that I'm not just completely delirious. Uh, but looking forward to chatting with you. Always enjoy uh, our conversations on Slack and great joining the pod today. Yeah, man. I Finally, Steve and I have been talking back and forth from Detroit Bad Boy days for quite a while, so it's great to finally put that and bring that here onto the podcast. So again, we're here to talk about Brandon Miller. Just to start off, if you don't know, Brandon Miller is a six foot nine, two hundred and pound forward, is what he's listed at, out of Alabama. Currently, Brandon Miller has played ten games and he has scored eighteen point five points per game, pulled in eight point four rebounds, dished out two assists per game. Shooting splits are 34.8% from two, 43.7% from three, and 82.1% from the free throw line. So those are his just overall raw counting stats. Again, we're going to ask a couple of different questions here and then just kind of rip off each other. Let's start off with the first question about Brandon Miller. What specifically, Steve, do you like about Brandon Miller? Well, the first thing with Brandon Miller that jumps off the charts, why he is an NBA draft prospect to begin with, is his shooting, uh, especially his shooting with um, being a 6'9 player who actually looks 6'9, who plays with length, who gets that shot up really high. Um, it's the reason why uh, Jabari Smith went um, where Jabari Smith was considered a candidate for the number one draft pick going into draft night last year for a really similar um, type of player. And uh, Brandon Miller, as a freshman, has been shooting the ball from distance even better than Jabari Smith. Um, and then also there's a few other things he does on the court, you know, that we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, I see his offensive rebounding flashes as an indicator that uh, that could come into play at the next level, just being kind of a, I like the motor he plays with. He just seems obnoxious in ways that uh, someone who a big, really skinny uh, three-point shooter isn't necessarily. A lot of times you see those guys with a bit of a soft label or uh, not necessarily um, doing some of those things that make you, uh, you know, a pain to play against. Um, and so I do like that offensive rebound he, he brings to the table. He uh, He's done pretty well at getting to the free throws drive, too. Um, defensively, he's a McBag. Uh, there are times where he definitely has some massive brain farts, but for the most part, uh, the length and um, just willingness to play defense, um, those are some other aspects that I do dig about him. Um, what about you? Yeah, the shooting number one, he is putting up 7.1 threes per game and shooting over 42%, 43.7. That's fantastic. I mean, this is like what I like to call legit shooter territory where you not only do you put up a good volume, but you shoot a really good percentage. There's just not a lot of guys out there. And at six foot nine, I mean, he was listed at six foot eight, now six foot nine, but I mean, he looks six foot nine when he's out there, right? He's <laughs> one of the tallest guys on the court, no matter who steps out there. That's a huge mismatch advantage. The shooting is, like I said, the number one thing that you cannot overstate enough, not only the volume, but the percentage. And then it's funny because he came into this year of like, ah, this guy's kind of like a mid-range chucker. That seemed to be his thing in high school. Is he really going to shoot the three? And he's just come out on fire. Like you mentioned Jabari Smith. And I want to just cut this off at the pass because 
there have been random Twitter people's. Uh, I don't really haven't seen any other draft people make this comp, but there have been this like Jabari Smith comps, and I I don't see it at all. I think they're two different types of players. Like Jabari always seemed like a defensive forward center who could shoot very well, whereas Brendan Miller's ball handling has been there as a primary creator, and he does seem like a primary creator coming into the year. It's a part of the reason why I do like him as well, is you do see the ball handling. He doesn't do anything super flashy or fancy, but he's a freshman coming into a more veteran-laden Alabama team. And from the summer, like all the reports were just like, this guy is our guy. This is the guy we're going to give the ball to because he can handle it and he can handle this big scoring load. It's not like Jabari who needed other guards to set him up. Um, Brandon Miller can create his own shot. And like you alluded to, getting the free throw line 5.6 times per game, his free throw attempt rate, which is the, the amount of percentage, like when he's on the court, this is the percentage of time that he's getting to the free throw line. It's 40.9%, which is good. Anything over 40% is good. So there are these two indicators that, yeah, he's just shooting is fantastic. He's getting to the free throw line. He has a solid handle. These are things that you want out of somebody that you want to draft up high with that size as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I see a bit what you mean in terms of the difference where Jabari Smith and uh, Brandon Miller's games um, uh, take, a, take a bit of a separation, but I do think there are some similarities there. You know, Jabari is certainly, he comes in with a bigger frame, you know, he's probably about 20 pounds heavier than Brandon Smith, or Brandon Miller. Um, <clears throat> but um, in Brandon Miller, there are times where they do have him bring him in the ball of the court but with Alabama Mark Sears plays such a key role in that uh, high pick and roll that plays such a big part of what they're doing out there um, and Brandon Miller tends to one of the other things in terms of how he plays on the court and what it might look like from an NBA perspective um, that I do really love about Brandon Miller is just the gravity he commands in that pick and roll game for Alabama with uh, just demanding um, a defender is going to be staying really tight on him. Um, when Mark Sears is running that pick and roll, getting to the rim, um, there's no tagging coming from uh, Brandon Miller's defender or else he's really going to punish you. And with the, uh, with the tighter game that you see in the college level, you know, the, uh, with that shorter three-point line, being able to create that type of spacing has been so important for Alabama's success as a team. Um, and, you know, I think that was something that Jabari Smith, uh, that that came into play with Texas last year, too, where he was such a contributor for a successful Texas team. And when I'm looking at Brandon Miller at the NBA level, um, a lot of times I, when I'm looking at prospects, I think about how they impact. I've always written about the Detroit Pistons, so I'm thinking about the Pistons. Um, but other NBA fans may be looking at their own team, or if you look at uh, some of the other draft evaluators, they're thinking about the NBA team as a whole, how they fit into a scheme. Uh, with with the way that Alabama plays their game, I'm thinking about, you know, Cade Cunningham running that pick and roll off of um, either Jalen Duran or Isaiah Stewart and having Brandon Miller over in the corner creating some of that space that so much of Cade has just been getting just dropped in on, you know, double, triple coverage that um, Boyan Bogdanovich played a big role in those limited opportunities we saw with uh, with Cade, those two playing together, <clears throat> that Brandon Miller having that type of impact with an NBA roster uh, definitely seems easy to, uh, easy to envision when you're watching him play for Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for bringing up the like screener and him and Sears things. I forgot to bring that up and what I like about him, Sam Bassini, if you follow him on Twitter, he did a thread of that Alabama versus um, the number one team they just Houston. knocked off the other Houston. night. Houston, yes, I'm blanking is what happens at the end of a long semester as a teacher. Um, yeah, the Alabama versus Houston game, especially the pick and pop stuff is what Sam Bassini highlighted. That mm -hmm. seems like it translates so easily. And it's not just like, oh, he does pick and pop stuff. Like, you can base a whole offense around it the way that, that Miller plays and the kind of actions that you see him run at Alabama. That's just under so underrated. And, again, this is somebody else that can create their own shot that has the mid-range stuff in their high school profile, which, as we've seen in the playoffs, that mid-range stuff can 
make a world of difference if you are a really good mid-range shooter and with that size advantage there's a couple different things he can do alongside somebody like a Kate Cunningham who's already going to draw double and triple teams and then you throw a Jaden Ivey in there who's like a wrecking ball getting the free throw line um yeah I could definitely see that and I know like we're always going to say Pistons because that's where our our bread is buttered and that's who we're the fans of but so many different teams can use that type of a player that can do pick and pop at the forward positions and that can create their own shot at six foot nine and is a mid-range shooter that maybe bust that out in the playoffs when you need it. But again, I'm a skeptic here, so I want to stop all this over gushing loving because for me, the one thing about Brandon Miller that really gives me pause is this two point percentage, 34.8% from two point range. I've been racking my brain over this, and it's just something that people have been saying about him, especially since the schedule got tougher with, like, UConn, Michigan State, um, these other, even against Houston, didn't shoot that well inside the the three-point arc. Like, Brandon Miller's percentage really suffered, and you really saw him struggle being able to get to the rim and get a shot off inside the three-point arc. This to me is where it's like, I'm not saying don't draft Brandon Miller, but if you're talking top five, like a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon here at the beginning, I just can't get there because I can't think of a top five pick, even a lottery pick in recent memory that struggled this much inside the two point line that was drafted this high that has this profile of like, yeah, they're going to be a primary offensive option, even though they haven't shown they can generate looks inside the two-point arc. That's just for me the number one thing. Another thing for me in terms of his deficiencies, as you alluded to in the first section, is his defense. I don't really know what his defensive position is, but to give him some benefit of the doubt in high school, he was the tallest player out there a lot of times. So he's kind of in this like de facto center role. Sometimes he need, at that skinny, like he's not really the center. He doesn't have great hops. He's not like the most dynamic athlete, either laterally or vertically. It seems like he's going to be stuck at power forward, but he has flashed some like weak side rim protection stuff that you could see him easily transition to into the NBA. But is this somebody, this to me, at least on defense, seems somebody like a Tobias Harris, where I'm a big Tobias Harris fan. I never wanted the Pistons to trade him, but... Again, he's not that big of a difference on defense and can be a liability at times. It's part of why he's had to stay a power forward in the NBA because even though he does have a lot of small forward like offensive skills, he just can't guard small forwards in the NBA because of that lack of athleticism. Can still be a fine offensive piece and not going to kill you on defense after learning in the NBA for a while. But again, I don't know. Then I want that up high, and Tobias Harris also has like 35 pounds on Brandon Miller, I believe. Um, so six foot eight, 200. I know the league's changing to where like a lot of power forwards now are a lot smaller. But come playoff time, power forwards are like LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis. I don't want Brandon Miller lined up in that same position looking at those guys down the line. Those are the two main things for me is the two-point percentage I guess if you really had to put it under one thing is athleticism because the athleticism seems to be lacking and the, where it really shows up is not being able to generate enough looks inside the three-point arc, separate in some way, get to the line, or get to the rim, excuse me, he's getting to the line, maybe that'll make up for it. And then on defense, just not athletic enough to guard small forwards, not powerful enough to guard power forwards the bigger ones so it just seems like that might kind of limit his ability to stay on the court yeah and i think you're right on i totally agree with those being his key weaknesses um one of the things when i'm watching him is just like man just do more and more push-ups just just like uh his upper body at times looks really weak when he is trying to attack the rim uh, defensively, I think that's going to be where it shows up too. I like his length. I, you know, he's certainly not athletic, athletic, like popping athletic, but I think he's athletic enough for a guy who is such a elite three point shooting threat. Um, but also when you are looking at drafting a guy, you know, I'm going to be talking about him as like, 
I'm I'm making the case that if the Detroit Pistons end up with the number two pick, that he is my favorite guy for them to take. And so if I'm making that type of case, um, you know, looking at the other guys in this draft class, uh, particularly who are playing a similar position as him, um, like Gigi Jackson with Gigi Jackson's having more of a versatile skill set. He does have a better frame. Um, certainly, if we are talking about a guy who we want defending Giannis and um, playoffs, or, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Kwai, or just any of these, whether it's Luca, um, you know, Gigi Jackson certainly has a better starting point to be able to, uh, to slot in at that defensive position. Um, or Walker, Jarese Walker, Jarese Walker uh, with Houston. How do you pronounce his first name? Jarese Walker. Um, <clears throat> watching that Houston game the other night, uh, Jarese Walker certainly has a better frame to be able to come into a NBA four. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a massive, like, he's got a lot to offer, but he kind of reminds me of like a Thomas, Thomas Bryant in a four body. Um that, you know, I'm not superly, uh, super blown away by, but, you know, a Chris Murray, would Chris Murray be a better defensive prospect also bringing a similar three-point threat? Um, so uh, when you're looking at the opportunity cost of taking someone like Brandon Miller with a top five pick or, you know, as me going totally off the rails saying uh, we should be considering him with the number two pick in Detroit, um that's that is where you know you certainly are taking uh, some major major risks with a player like this with his handle um he certainly can put the ball on the floor better than a guy like Jabari Smith Jabari was pretty shaky as a ball handler definitely was not a guy who's going to create for others where uh Brandon Miller last night against Memphis he uh definitely was flashing a bit more of that creativity for his teammates um putting up five assists he's not a big assist guy but he is someone who you can put the put the ball in his hands and trust that he's not going to dribble it off his knee that often but when he's when he's trying to attack the rim um he can get like he's like 90 percent of the way there and then it's like once he's at the rim he's um a bit at a, at a loss he's not finishing in uh, in a way that really puts him in a position to be more than the 39% field goal percentage guy. He is a, what, 34.8% uh, inside the arc. Um, you know, he's, he's able to get into defenders to an extent, but like his best chance if he is going to the rim is probably just drawing a foul rather than trying to make some sort of creative finish. Maybe with some increased upper body strength that could improve some better footwork. Um, you know, he definitely is really choppy with his feet, not necessarily a savvy finisher. When he's in the air, there's been some times that I've really liked what he's done, uh, you know, in terms of like creativity once he's in the air, maybe, um, you know, flashing a little bit of uh, elusiveness on what he's going to do with that finish. But it's, you know, still not that good. Uh, you know, the, the results are pretty much showing. Yeah, absolutely. In that Memphis game last night, it looked like he kind of turned a corner in terms of finishing, but it's another one of those games that it's like you got to dive in deeper to look at the team he's playing. Memphis is 8-3. and three. They, They're pretty good, but the one thing they don't have is an actual center. Their starting lineup was Kendrick Davis, who's five foot eleven, Alex Lomax, who's six feet even, uh, Keontae Kennedy, I believe, was 6'5", or excuse me, it was Chandler Lawson, who's 6'8", 205, and then Jaden Hardaway, who is 6'5", 195. And their center, center, is DeAndre Williams, who's like 26 years old, 6'9", 190, who was kind of the point guard when he transferred to Memphis, and then was more of a wing last season with Duran and Imani Bates, and now is the tallest guy in the starting lineup and is super skinny. The only sort of center that that uh, Miller saw last night was Malcolm Dandridge, who's six foot nine, 232. I don't know. He looks smaller than Miller though. Maybe it's just me. It's always, I'm the worst of like trying to judge height and wingspan when looking at film. So uh, maybe it's not for somebody for me. I, but again, clearly this is a team that is center deficient. So it's like, yeah, he, he did better, but like he didn't really face 
an NBA type of team. And I mean, even some of these teams, he's had really horrible two point percentage shooting nights again. One of them was uh, Southern Alabama. Another one was, you know, uh, when he was playing Jacksonville State or Liberty, he only was taking three shots uh, inside of the arc for those games. Um, you know, he was two of nine against UConn, two of 13 against US, uh, UNC. But I think there's probably merit to the idea of that he is going to struggle against uh, elite level length uh, at this point until he does get something going with his upper body and um, that he does need to work on some of that, uh, that craft around the rim. Um, and even, even times when he is going up against someone who's not that big, like uh, um, Jarris, 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 right? Jarris Walker. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I felt like he had a pretty solid, um, game in terms of taking away that uh that lower you know the the at the rim uh attempt for brandon miller so you know i it's definitely a spot that he's going to need to grow at you know i mean if this three-point shooting is what it is if he is a knockdown three-point shooter who also can get some rebound can put the ball on the court a little bit and take advantage of some straight line drives in the nba it might not matter at the end of you know, um, but if he's going to be worth a uh, top five pick, you would at least like to be able to see uh, him be able to do something better than one of seven inside of the arc against a team like South Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this might just be early struggles, him still trying to figure it out. He's a freshman again coming into Alabama. The good thing about this is they play in the SEC, which most people think has the best athletes pure athletes in terms of all the basketball conferences. So he will have a lot of opportunities to prove us wrong. Next game, they also play Gonzaga, who's pretty good uh, have athletes. I don't know if they have the same type of defenders that he will see in the SEC, but it's another good team, another great test for Mr. Miller. They're going to play Mississippi State, Mississippi, Kentucky, Arkansas, LSU, Vanderbilt, Missouri, Oklahoma coming up. Texas A&M, Auburn, all these different teams that have guys that have size and that have athleticism that will force him into shots that he doesn't want to take. Uh, I think his three-point shot's going to be what it is. It just seems now like it doesn't matter if you have a hand in his face. They're going to run those pick-and-pop actions. That'll happen. But I'm looking forward to see how Brandon Miller's two-point percentage comes along now when they start getting an SEC play and defenses and athletes get more serious. And, you know, uh, to put my positive spin back on while, you know, these are certainly glaring weaknesses. You know, one of the things we've chatted about during the slacks is that Brandon Miller's kind of a prospect of extremes, that his really his highs are really high. You know, it's obvious his length and shooting are um, in the 10 years I've been covering the NBA draft. Uh, there's, there's been maybe two prospects uh, as lottery picks who um, – who can be up there is as good of shooting prospects as Brandon Miller, like Trey Young and Buddy Heald. Um, Buddy Heald was, he was a senior and uh, Trey Young, he shot 36% from three. His results weren't as good as Brandon Miller's. I mean, to look, to go back, to find a NBA prospect with that type of length who has produced those results from three would be going back maybe to Kevin Durant. Um, it's just really rare. It's really unique. He's obviously not going to be a Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant is one of the greatest players of all time, and he did so much more uh, inside from that mid-range for uh, Texas way back when. Um, but, you know, that just gives an idea of how elite he is as a three-point shooting plus length confluence type of player. Um, when we look at the other guys in the draft class, you know, you really – if you, if you have a perfect prospect, a guy who is putting all of this stuff together, and then that's how you get the LeBron James, the uh, Kevin Durant level prospects, the Victor Wembeyamas. Of course, Vic should be at the top of everybody's draft board, which is why these other guys are the ones who, uh, who need debated, is because they do have different, um, different weaknesses. You know, Cam Whitmore uh, looks great in his early going, but he has had some injury concerns. He doesn't bring the same type of length to me uh, to the power forward position. I like the bully ball he plays, but, you know, in terms of 
I think he's going to be a guy who needs to attack the rim at the next level. Uh, and I also wonder if his three-point shooting is going to translate to the NBA or if that's more of that college-level type of three, um, three-point shotting ring. You know, the same thing with Jairus Walker, uh, whereas he doesn't seem to have the same type of um, the same type of fluidity in terms of I, I see him as a complementary piece who should do everything at a pretty decent level, but not necessarily a guy who's going to pop at the NBA level. He's not. I don't see him as a guy who ever going to be a number three or a number two or three option offensively or anything like that. But he does. Some, he does some nice things. Gigi Jackson is a guy who we both find really intriguing. He's super young. He does a lot of different things on the court, but playing for such a weak South Carolina team, uh, his efficiency numbers are really hit and miss, and it's tough to, for me at least, I have trouble seeing what he's going to look like at the next level in terms of a, um, a guy who helped your team win. And, you know, that's probably a product of the environment. I wish he was playing a different, uh, in a different team, does a lot of really interesting things, but when we look at results, Brandon Miller's results are more intriguing to me at this point. Um, Baba, Baba Miller, I wish I wish we were seeing Baba Miller. He might be he might be the guy. Who, five more games, five more games, and he'll be there. Oh my gosh, the NBA, the NCAA, like what is what is wrong with you? Like suspending free Baba. Oh man, like Baba Miller might be a top five pick worthy type of guy. But we're missing out on the chance to see him. And so, you know, I'm over here obsessing over Brandon Miller instead. When I'm Baba Miller might be the guy who does a lot of the same things as Brandon Miller without the same type of liabilities. And so uh, all that to say is that despite Brandon Miller's um, weaknesses, his starting points at what he does well are so elite that that puts him uh, above those other guys who do who don't have the same type of glaring weaknesses but I'm not sure have that type of capital E elite skill set at any particular thing. Um, and so that's why I'm putting Brandon Miller have those guys. Yeah, hashtag Miller time for this draft between Baba Miller, Brandon Miller, and Leonard Miller. There's a lot of Millers to uh, choose from. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of uh, you kind of answered the third question we were going to debate, though, is like, where would you rank them? So you would mm -hmm. firmly rank Brandon Miller number two. Right now. For the Pistons. Uh, so for me, my approach with the NBA draft is I'm not one, you know, I think that uh, talent and fit are both equally important when you're not talking about someone who has some generational potential. With Victor Wembanyama, no matter who you're setting him aside, take him number one. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to the next guys down, like Scoot Henderson, you know, he's, Scoot Henderson's awesome. You know, he's, he is the type of guy who you can put the ball in his hands and he can lead an offense and just be exceptional at it. But when you're looking at a team like the Detroit Pistons or maybe even the Charlotte Hornets with LaMelo Ball, um, if you are asking Scoot to move to an off-ball type of situation or you know, um, perhaps have to defend twos, and then I think that you are doing both the team and Scoot a disservice in terms of what type of situation you're putting them into. But if you're looking at the Spurs or, you know, the Wizards who obviously could use a, a long-term um, primary primary guard, you know, those those teams, I would put Scoot at number two. But if it's the Pistons, if it's the Hornets, if it's uh, um, maybe even, I don't know about the Rockets. No, the not the Rockets. With you know, they do have Jabari Smith, and that's kind of an overlap there too. Um, but the the Thunder, I think about it. Yeah. So if I had to just ask you, like, would you rather have Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, like in a vacuum? What would your answer be? In a vacuum, if you're starting a team from scratch, you know, if you don't have Kate Cunningham, if you don't have Jaden Ivey, and then Scoot, I think it's the more talented, all-around type player. Um, if, you know, if, uh, you know, but typically teams aren't drafting in a vacuum. And so, you know, I, I think that's where busts or, you know, bad fits wind up happening. In a vacuum, sure, yeah, Scoot, I think is probably uh, – the more well-rounded, more dominant type of upside than Brandon Miller.
Yeah, I think this brings up an interesting question too, though, of like the Pistons just drafted Jaden Ivey. The, uh, the draft before that is Cade Cunningham. They want this to be their backcourt, I think. Or if you look at Orlando, who has just a glut of guards and Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs and uh, RJ Hampton, and I'm probably forgetting somebody else in there, all these young guys. Um, Fultz, Markel Fultz. It, well, I mean, I, I guess Fultz is kind of done, but he got yeah, injured again. Right. So um, sadly, the, I think the ship has sailed there. And it's just like, do they pass on Scoot if they go number two? I think that's a real thing. And if you've listened to a couple different draft people from Rafael Barlow to Sam Bassini, um, they all kind of are hinting at like maybe Scoot falls because there's always that prospect fatigue, right? Of if somebody's been ranked high for a long time, people just start to nitpick them more than anything else because they don't have anything else left to say, I guess. Um, it's happened once or twice there. But even without that, like these teams that are already pretty set at guard, like what are you going to do? And somebody like Brandon Miller, like you said, has great potential. But for me, like Vic and Scoot, Victor Weminyama and Scoot Henderson are one and two for real. Like you just can't pass them up. I mean, Kate Cunningham, I have always racked my brain on who his comp is because I don't think he has a one-to-one comp. The Where I've settled at now and will settle forever is he's the Tim Duncan of the guard position. I think he's just so smart and does so many different things. He will just make it work no matter what and has an old man game before being an old man, right? Um, we've already seen that that play out and also has that that temperament. Like he'll fire up, but he's not going to, you know, be demonstrative. Um, he'll definitely stand up like when the refs don't call stupid things of him getting thrown in the ground against Atlanta or whatever. Um, but I think Scoot and and um, Cade would be fine, but Ivy's the one that kind of throws the monkey wrench in there. Like, what do you do with Ivy? Um, and a lot of us have been in the mindset of like, we don't want to see three guard lineup, right? We don't want to see Scoot one, Ivy two, Cade three. Cade at the three just seems to eliminate so much mismatch potential um, you can have. And it also is going to be difficult with like Sadiq, Beef Stew, Jalen Duran. Like one of those guys has to go to the bench. Um, not to say that they would be opposed to it, but it seems like it's less of a use of their skills. And then Boyan, if Boyan stays around, like what happens with him as well? So I definitely see that side of it, but I think Scoot's like talent, like you said, in a vacuum is just such that you you can't pass that up. So for me, Brendan Miller definitely is not there. Um, and if I, if he, I, he's in the race for number three is where I've come down to it. But for me, there are 12 guys that legitimately could challenge for that number three spot. If I had to rank him though, right now I have Brandon Miller ranked 12th just because of those inside the two point arc concerns where that doesn't, we just haven't seen a player struggle that much inside the two point arc and then turn it completely around in the NBA and become a primary scorer. People that have done that before are normally like good role players or good third to fifth starters, which again, that'd be fine. And you and I in the Slack chat have talked about Brandon Miller as Bojan Bogdanovic, that type of player. That is definitely worth a lottery pick. Bojan's put up 20 points, shooting over 40%, being a primary offensive option. Has been secondary, tertiary for a couple of different teams, Indiana and then in Utah. Has been on a successful team um, that's won a ton of games in Utah and been one of the primary offensive options. So, yeah, that's definitely worth a lottery pick. But if your team's still searching for your number two, I just can't, can't see it there. And then, and then the defensive side of things – that just seems to be a liability. If he doesn't really protect the rim, he can't defend small forwards. That's why, to me, he's 12th right now. I know it's it might seem low for a lot of other people, but if the uh, two-point percentage just continues to stay where it's at and the defense is bad, I just don't know how you can justify being a top five, a top 10 guy. I mean, you look at somebody like a Keontae George, who is also a freshman also one of the primary offensive options on a veteran-laden team. And his percentages are odd, but he's shown way more playmaking than Brandon Miller, and that's something we didn't talk about enough. I don't think it's bad. I don't think either of us would say it's good either, right? It's there. Maybe that develops, and again, it's part of why I think the Bojan thing is there. You see Bojan playmake, but he's not like the playmaker, right? Um, and you know, he's smart enough to know I got to score first and then 
set up everything else. And the three-point shot is the main thing in the arsenal. So if he's not going to be a setup man as well, again, that knocks him down. Somebody to me like Keontae George, who, by the way, also has shown fantastic man-to-man point guard defense, which is something that just separates, even if he's a smaller guard, separates him from somebody like a Brandon Miller who's bigger but still has a long ways to go in both of those areas. Yeah, and, you know, and I get the idea in terms of, um, you know, you don't want to draft a number two pick to to use the number two pick on a guy who is, you're kind of looking for an all-star up upside there. But part of the theory for that is comes down to asset utilization. And, um, you know, this this is a really valuable asset, but that's kind of still looking at things in a vacuum. And if you, to me, it's more about the opportunity cost that if, um, if I'm using this number two pick to try to maximize this person's potential to be an all-star and to really make that pick pop, but I'm doing it at the expense of last year's, um, you know, top five pick and another player who's shown a lot of promise. And, you know, Killian Hayes, we still believe as Pistons fan, um, you know, that he's finally, he's finally making it through uh, all of these eye gouging moments of, uh, of having to watch him over the past two years that he's uh, showing himself to look like a guy who deserved to be on an NBA court. Uh, if you're, if you're drafting Scoot, but, um, because he has that type of all-star upside, but he makes it so that you're basically wasting a couple of other lottery picks who may, who may actually bring some stuff to the table. And then uh, even though you've maximized one asset, you're doing it at the expense of a couple of others. And so um, that's kind of one of the reasons why I take the approach that I do. But one thing that I'd be curious about is, you know, I, I know that the, the Brandon Miller things bring some, the red flags are certainly concerning and it's a, uh, certainly a taste eye of the beholder. But if you're looking at a guy like Cam Whitmore, who has fewer major holds or a guy like Gigi Miller, who I know you're really excited about, uh, is that something that you're- Gigi Jackson. Oh, Gigi Jackson. Oh, it's, I'm just default to Miller for all of the draft prospects for this one. It's the Miller draft, right? <laughs> so if- uh, would you be able to talk yourself into uh, putting someone like Gigi Jackson or Cam, who you might be able to uh, find more personal aesthetic to, to get them ahead of uh, someone like Scoot or a team like the Pistons? Yeah, I think if you're looking at somebody with that combination of like, we need somebody who has a clear skill set that's really good, that has upside and is ready to play because it's Cade's year number three, like year number three, they, the team really does have to start thinking about being successful, right? If they're still losing by the time Cade's rookie extension is up, like that's going to be a thing. Cade just wants to win. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think Miller is a good, I don't know. Compromise is the right word, but I also think he's, again, this is like talking about safe picks and as Piston fans, when we talk about, the save pick from draft, the draft in the past, it just seems to always like come back and, and bite oh, them, yeah. right? Um, but on the flip side of things, the one time they took the home run swing in 03 that, yeah, it was a swing and a miss. Um, oh, gosh. So I definitely feel that side of things. But to think about like Gigi Jackson in particular, like the main thing with Gigi is feel. A lot of people say his feel's not there. You look at his assist-to-turnover rate, and it's terrible. He has, like, maybe five assists (laughs) so far this year and a ton of turnovers. But, again, on a bad team, is still shooting well from three, has shown creation ability. This is a 17-year-old kid, too. He won't turn. We're recording this on December 14th. His birthday is December 17th, so he won't turn 18 for three more days. Um, But you see him out here leading a team in the SEC, and we will see Miller and – GG go up against each other later on in the year. That should be fantastic viewing. I think that'll be a good indicator to see. Has GG's feel come along in that time? And can Brandon Miller like handle somebody like a GG Jackson? Because they are really the like opposite sides of the same coin. Miller has this clear skill that will succeed in the NBA, but doesn't have the athleticism and it limits him in these areas. Whereas GG has the athleticism, is still gaining skill and the, the IQ and other things uh, along the way. So I think Gigi's just a higher upside swing because if he does 
figure out that role. The athleticism already keeps him in this like three position defender, small forward, power forward, center. Already has ball handling ability uh, at that science to be a mismatch potential. Pretty good shooter um, as well. Not as good as Brandon Miller, obviously, but that seems like somebody that could be on the higher upside with the athleticism if the ball handling and everything else mm-hmm. comes out six foot nine, 215. I've described GG Jackson as like, this is everything we wanted Jeremy Grant to be. Jeremy Grant's already a good player, but everybody was like, ah, this guy can't rebound. Why is he not rebounding? He's a power forward. What's going on? GG will crash the glass like that. And well, Grant was a okay rim protector. Like GG has that bounce to be even better and to be able to, like you said, have that size that can handle, or at least not handle, but like get in the way of a Giannis, right? Six foot nine, two fifty. Nobody can handle Giannis, but the difference between six foot nine player who's two hundred who doesn't have pop versus somebody that does have bounce and uh, spring in their step and has fifteen more pounds on them, like that to me is always going to be the big difference and mm-hmm. the reason to take the home run swing. And who was the other one that you you brought up uh, there? Cam Whitmore. Um, you know. Yeah, Cam, we'll definitely have to see him, like, iron out more of his game. The three-point shot was concerning. Like you said, bully ball. Mm-hmm. The bully ball guys are always hard for me to, like, feel 100% confident because you can't bully ball people in the NBA unless you are Giannis or LeBron, these freaks of nature, right? And maybe Cam is that, but at six foot seven, like, Larry Johnson's probably the last guy we saw at that size be able to do things. And, he, again, he was like a LeBron, Giannis type of athlete. And that's been a long time. The one thing I will say about him is just if anybody watched the Villanova games before he came on the court versus now, even when he didn't score in that first game, his presence was felt. Both in offense, you have to respect him and send extra help his way. On defense, he has multi-position uh, defensive versatility as well, maybe to guard four positions, even two through the five. He's strong enough to handle some centers. I don't know if he'll do that all the time. And he has bounce to get up there and do it. That might be something that sets him apart. Um, but if you've listened to Game Theory or Box and One podcasts, Coach Adam Spinell actually coached against him in high school. And he kind of gave away a scouting report already. I believe it was if he drives to the right, he's going to do a step back. And if he drives to the left, he's going to do a spin move. Like we've seen that play out already. So that would be a thing. Like if that continues, then I'd be like, yeah, I think I'd rather take Brendan Miller than somebody who's kind of already giving away their, their um, skill set. And again, the shooting definitely translates. Whereas with Cam, the ball handling and the bully ball, like just being able to overpower guys at that size, I, I just wouldn't be able to buy into it as much as a super tall shooter who just needs to iron out more things inside the two point arc. But neither one of these guys are going to get over Scoot on terms of, you know, on a list for the Pistons for you if you were putting together your your draft board for the, say, the Detroit Pistons specific one. Yeah, I guess I try not to think about, like, specifics. I mean, I'll write about specific okay. bits and who the team should be looking at. But I think Vic and Scoot both have such talent, like, you know, unique talent. You just can't pass them up because you're going to end up regretting it. I mean, school really does look like Derek Rose with a jump shot. You just can't pass that up. You know, I, I think if Scoot lands for, if he lands in Orlando or San Antonio. Um... Yeah, San Antonio would be the ideal spot because you can look at that roster and you can tell they're like, we don't want a point guard. We don't need a point guard right now because we're hoping for a Scooter Vic. Um, well, we're New Orleans too. <laughs> that would be that would be something. Yeah, we'll see how the Lakers do, but uh, but um, yeah, with his size is really the thing that throws me off for him. You know, like um, for say Kyrie Irving, even taking away his off court nonsense. Um, if if the Pistons had the chance to sign Kyrie Irving, just the player uh, in the off season, I really wouldn't be stoked about what Kyrie would bring to the team. Um, so, so that's one of the, one of the reasons why I'm, you know, I, I think Scoot has in the right, in the right, like Vic is independent of Vic, but Scoot with his height, it becomes more of a uh, diminishing returns um, if he's not in the right situation. Charlotte Hornets would be another team that I would be 
on the fence, do you take Scoot or one of these other guys? Like one of the Thompson twins might be really fun in uh, in Charlotte. Well, I think Amen, will you run into that same problem if he ends up in New Orleans, as you're talking about with Scoot, because they they all need the ball in their hands, right? Lamelo, Amen, Scoot, they all need the ball in their hands, and especially with what Lamelo shown already, you don't want to take the ball out of his hands almost at all. You just want to find more guys that he can throw lobs to or, or get easy shots in the corner or like a Chris Middleton at the very least. I think somebody who has these supplementary skills, shot creation ability that, you know, complements your primary guy 100% down pat. So yeah, I, I definitely feel you on that. But again, the I, this is where Ivy, like, I would hate it if, if, that like factored into it of just like, well, we already invested all this in the guard position, so we're just going to pass it up. But I, I definitely feel you on terms of the size. I think that's the thing that most people are going to focus on, especially if Scoot continues to not show high level defensive ability. He's a one position, maybe two position defender. I don't know what his wingspan is. If his wingspan is large enough, maybe he can guard uh, the point guard and the shooting guard. But for right now, six foot two, one ninety five. It seems that he would only be able to guard point guard. So he would have to be a decent enough point guard defender to warrant, you know, um, this high pick and warrant the Pistons to take him and be like, yeah, this is somebody who we're going to ride with and give us playoff success. I mean, we already have Ivy, who's a questionable defender, being charitable with that um, right now. But you add another guy in there who hasn't shown that yet. But at the same time, the G League is known for – there's a reason they change it from the D League to the G League. There's no defense in the G League, right? So it's not the best environment in order to evaluate somebody as a defender. You're not encouraged to play um, high-level defense the way you are in the NBA there. But, again, it always just boils down to me of, like, Scoot – just showed last year that as a high school senior, this is a guy that should have been, you know, going to prom and, and doing things most seniors do, that he could run a whole team. Yeah, there's absolutely a reason why he is the consensus number two and why it is a bit of a hot take to uh, to for me to be saying, you know, this, this freshman who's six foot nine and maybe one of the best three-point shooting prospects that we've seen, um, you know, that, that it's a hot take to be suggesting him ahead of us. Yeah, well, I don't even know if it's a hot take necessarily amongst like talent evaluators because, like we said, we just ran down these teams. Like you, if you would really have to buy into Scoot being close to Vic's level, Victor Wembanyama, or like the same, in order to really say, yeah, we're just going to invest another pick in a guard, even though we have all these other areas where we're completely deficient in. Like Orlando is probably the best yeah. example in that regard of like, they need something other than power forward and, and guard, right? They need a wing. They need a center. I guess Wendell Carter, Wendell Carter is fine, but they really need a wing. Like they really, really, really need a wing. And if they invested another pick in a point guard who needs the ball, like that pretty much sinks Jalen Suggs, right? <laughs> Cole Anthony can probably play on and off ball, but again, now you're having one player that's six foot, Three, I think, is what Cole is listed at, and then Vic, who's six foot two. That's what you want your starting backcourt to be. Yeah, I think that it's not that hot of a take because of the teams that are up high. Yeah, and she, with Orlando, you know, I was as big of a fan as Cole, of Cole Anthony as anyone going into that draft. But I think it's a no-brainer in terms of Scoot, what he would bring to. Uh, he's he's a notch above. I, you know, at the end of the day, I hope that neither Detroit or Charlotte end up in the number two pick just because those would not be the ideal landing spots for a player like Scoot. And it all just is a lot cleaner and neater if Detroit gets the number one pick and are taking Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but I think a number two, you like, you got to start thinking about trading out of that spot, yeah. right? If you were one of those teams yeah. and you're just like, we can't. Like you said, opportunity cost is something I don't think we talk about enough in draft circles because most of us are just concerned about, oh, look how, how great this, this guy is. But there's a lot of other things that go into it for teams and this idea of opportunity cost isn't talking about like, oh, just because we picked this, this player in the last draft, we're not going to do this. It really is about development time, investment, and like I said, return on investment. Am I really going to get the best return mm -hmm. based off of what is here and what I buy into long term? I think that is going to be something for Scoot because he's not like Victor Wembanyama who has multi whatever alien ability. There's even been people now talking about him playing small forward, which would be 
banana. Yeah, but totally. He's shown that he can. I mean, I wouldn't put it out of the question. He's a perimeter guy. I mean, you know, if you're looking at Detroit, if he landed in Detroit, I'd be seeing him as kind of a four where he's playing next to Jalen Duran or an Isaiah Stewart. But no, triple beef. We need triple beef oh my now. Gosh, yeah. It was Wembenyama, Stewart, and Duran all on the court together. That would be pretty terrifying. But you, uh, still sticking with the Detroit theme, you know, with um, <clears throat> with the take of, you know, if the Detroit Pistons are picking number two, I would be taking Brandon Miller. He would, at this point in the game, you know, it's still early. It's still early, early in December. Uh, he's the guy who I do like best as this draft prospect. Um, you know, we still need to see more from Cam Whitmore. Uh, there's some other guys who may still show us a bit more. You know, like Derek Whitehead's still in that race, too, for number three. Yeah, if we, you know, to give myself a bit of an out, um, if we were talking about the best use of the asset, trading down a little bit, and could you still get Brandon Miller at five, six, or, you know, take someone like, um, if you could get one of the Thompson twins up trading down a little bit and, and then still in the 20s, take someone like, um, you know, Chris Miller or Chris Murray. Oh gosh, Miller's. <laughs> but Chris Murray later in the in the first round or Gigi Jackson. Um, I think that that probably would be the smartest play. But um, to be able to to say I would take uh, Brandon Miller at number two, you know, I, I think that does at least say I really like this guy. I think he brings a lot to the table. I think he's going to be a great fit for a lot of NBA teams. Um, and even if even if he's not really worth what you think of as like what you want out of a number two pick he's going to bring a lot of value and wins yeah absolutely and again even though i'm the skeptic here he's brandon miller is in the running for the number three overall prospect in this and if you don't believe that then i really don't know what to tell you he has shown maybe the most out of any of these freshmen that's just been plopped into the starting lineup and again he's the leading scorer on an alabama team that was kind of in flux you didn't really know who they were going to get. Brandon Miller wasn't ranked a lot of places before the the draft season started. And then it was in the summer where people kept saying, hey, you got to look at this guy. Hey, you got to look at this guy. Mm -hmm. So pretty talented, very good shooter. We'll see once SEC plays if he can turn this around and definitely solidify himself up in the top five. Yeah. Again, I want to thank Steve for coming on uh, the show again. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, anything else you want to plug or anything else you would like to say before we get out? No, no, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, what is it? Shannon's 8, S-H-I-N-O-N-S-8 at Twitter until, you know, that platform explodes eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so definitely go follow him. And again, go look at Detroit-Basketball.com. Check out those uh, fantastic articles as well. Until next time, we're going to continue to debate who the number three guy is. This is just one of many that we're going to look at in the future. Well, thank you so much again for Steve for coming on and Hagone. See you next time. Thanks, Steve.